0: John chapter 20, the vast majority of people in our world do not believe that Jesus Christ actually arose from the dead, you know that. Multitudes reject out of hand any concept that Jesus rose bodily from the grave, Now, having said that, I know that you would assume very well, as I would, that that is the case with secularized people, non-Christian people, unbelievers. But did you realize that there is becoming what I think we would call an epidemic of sorts, even within the religious community, of those would otherwise say that they would believe that Jesus Christ bodily was raised from the dead, but a poll taken now over 30 years ago, this poll was taken more than 30 years ago, showed that ministers without a seminary education did not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead bodily. A lack of seminary education, 40%. Among those who had some seminary education, the figure was higher, around 60% from this one poll. Seminary graduates were in the 70 percentile. But if, according to this particular poll taker, if God forbid one had gone on to get a doctoral degree from a seminary, it was this unbelief in the 80s percentile. Now, I hope you and I would never support such a seminary that would teach that Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead. And uh, if it is an epidemic in the religious community, and of course that would not be the evangelical religious community, then what would they make of us on a Sunday in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? I think what we need to do, beloved friends, is to reaffirm this great biblical truth, and that's what we've read about. This morning from John chapter 20. And I want to give to you what I believe is very, very important from John chapter 20. I'm just going to take three phrases out of what we've read to talk about three aspects or three significances of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Three ways, three aspects, three lines of thought that affirm the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us as believers related, of course, to His own resurrection. Here's the first one. Here's the first significance. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is significant because it shows... Jesus triumph over Satan, death and hell. That's very significant. I'll say that again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, according of course to all that we would know from these gospel accounts including John chapter 20, the great significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is because it shows Jesus triumph over Satan, death and hell. I want you to see this. Look at your Bibles in John chapter 20, verse 18. I'll go from the back then toward the front of this text of John 20, verses 1 to 18. I want you to key in on this one phrase. Mary Magdalene, who is of course important for this story. You remember, she had seven demons, and according to Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus cast those demons out of her. She became an ardent, committed follower of Jesus Christ all the way to the very crucifixion narrative itself. She was there, and now she's here. She's looking for her Lord, and when she finds out that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. John 20:18 says this, Mary Magdalene went and announced. Don't miss that word, announced to the disciples this phrase, I have seen the Lord. Even that word for sight, the word seen is important because you remember what I read to you earlier, in our scripture reading in John chapter 19 verse 35 he who saw it there's a lot of sight going on here in John 19 and 20 a lot of talking about sight and it's not just spiritual sight they were eye witnesses to the actual resurrected Jesus Christ they saw him die and they saw him as a raised person. Jesus Christ has been crucified. The angel said, He has risen. He is not here. I've seen the Lord, she says. This is Mary Magdalene. This is her faith. This is her confidence. This is her trust. Jesus Christ and His resurrection therefore shows to Mary and to everyone else that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that means that His Lordship is a triumph over Satan and death and hell. Matthew's gospel tells us that on that first day of the week, early morning, Sunday morning, there was a great earthquake. And in verse 2 of that chapter on the great Resurrection narrative in Matthew's Gospel, verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. That was a, that was a testament to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's not here. He has been raised. And it was significant, my friends, because it shows that Jesus Christ has triumphed over all the evil powers of the world, including even Satan himself. I want you to turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to talk a little bit about this idea of Jesus triumphed over Satan. This is this is significant. You know, of course, that Satan was all about trying to, to foil the plan of God, and yet God had a plan of His own, and that plan included even the foiling of Satan himself, his overthrow, his downfall. In Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, a most significant statement, Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that just means that all of us who are human beings, we are persons, we share in our humanity, we share in flesh and blood. We're all the same. He himself, referring to Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He is flesh and blood. But then notice this, Hebrews 2.14, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. See, the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world, god little G that he's the prince of the power of the air. And the writer to Hebrews is saying that he actually holds the power of death. And when Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead... He eschewed such power. He vanquished the power of the devil having this power over death. He rose triumphantly from the grave because he has the power over death itself in the form of Satan's power. Satan's power does not touch the power of Jesus Christ. This is the glorious power. You know, sometimes people ask me, uh, "What was the purpose of Jesus coming? Was it for our salvation?" Yes, it was. Of course, it was. But did you know there there are other reasons the Bible says for the coming of Jesus Christ? Look at First John, First John chapter three. Here's a reason for Jesus coming. It wasn't just for our salvation, as glorious as that is. As wonderful as that is from our perspective, do you realize that one of the very purposes for Jesus coming into this world, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then this most interesting statement, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy... The works of the devil. If you add the idea of Hebrews chapter 2 to this, if he does, this devil, have the power of death, he holds death in its power, and if Jesus comes, and if Jesus is raised from the dead, one of the very purposes for his coming is so that he might appear so as to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus' resurrection is a triumph over Satan himself. You glad about that this morning? Boy, I'm so glad about that. You say, why? Well, because if I have to go up against Satan himself, and I would never want to, especially in uh, one-to-one hand combat, who would lose? I would, and pretty quickly. I don't have the power of this supernatural being. I don't have the ability to joust with him. He even says, according to the Bible, does the writer to Hebrews, that the devil has the power over death. And yet my Savior has the power over him because of his resurrection from the dead. Jesus' resurrection, my friends, is so significant, it's so important, it's so incredible, it's so victorious that the Bible says that even death could not hold him in that grave. Even that power of the devil to hold people in the very pangs of death and to keep them there, Jesus has the power over Satan himself. And not just Satan. Jesus has the power, as we said, over death itself. Even death. Romans 6.9. Romans 6.9. You don't have to turn there, but you could write this down. We know, Paul says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead, Christ will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. He's raised from the dead. Death does not have its sting. It does not have its power. It does not have its dominion over Jesus Christ. Romans 14.9 For to this end Christ died and lived again that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. You see, we don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living Savior. And back, by the way, in that Hebrews 2 passage, I didn't read verse 15. It says, latter part of verse 14, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and, listen to this, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You know it's true. It's axiomatic. It's a truth. It's a truism. That every single person including apparently some of those seminary graduates in the poll that I talked about earlier who have the fear of death. You know, that's, a, that's an axiomatic statement about our world. Oh, people don't want to admit it. People want to suppress that truth. But the Bible says in Hebrews 2.15 that there are people in our world, in fact, everyone, it's axiomatic, it's, it's the truth that extends over so many persons, in fact all persons, that they are subject, the Bible says, to lifelong slavery. What kind of slavery? The fear of death. The fear of death. In fact, the Bible talks about three kinds of fears. Proverbs 29, 25 talks about the fear of man. Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about the fear of death. And in 1 John, it talks about the fear of punishment after death. Those are three gripping fears, aren't they? The fear of man, the fear of death, and the fear of punishment after death. And people don't want to admit it. People want to suppress the truth of it. People want to go to seminary uh, in liberal places because they want to deny the resurrection. That's how much they want to suppress the truth. That's how much they want to say no to the gripping fears that they have in their lives. And why do they have that gripping fear? Because Satan has his power over them. He has the power of death, and he wants to rule over them. He wants to have dominion over them. He wants to keep them down. And so he places within them this fear, this fear that is subjugating them to a lifelong fear of slavery. And what is that fear? It's the fear of death. It's the fear of death. What happens beyond the grave? What's going to happen in my life? What's going to happen when I come to die? I've seen it. I've talked to people before. I've even talked to people at their deathbed and they are gripped with fear. Gripped with it. I have this fear. I have the fear of the afterlife. What if what all you Christians are saying is true? What if it's true that Hebrews 9 says that it is appointed for man once to die and after that what? What? The judgment. That's a real fear, my friends. And yet Jesus Christ has conquered by His own resurrection. This death, this grip. Satan has no power over Him. Remember what Jesus said in Revelation one eighteen, that great vision of the Lord, this high and lofty Savior, this Lord of Lords and this King of Kings. Revelation one eighteen, I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I I remember one time in my dorm room in college, I was listening to an audio tape. Do you remember those little cassette tapes? Remember those? Had the two little holes in the middle. You used to listen to them. And I was listening to a a debate between uh, Mahmoud Didat, a famous Muslim, and he was debating none other than Josh McDowell. And in this debate, I remember distinctly sitting in my dorm room and I was listening to that cassette tape and I was listening to Mahmoud Didat say, and nowhere, by the way, in this debate with Josh McDowell, and nowhere does Jesus Christ ever say that he had died and that he was now alive. And Josh McDowell Immediately, when it was his turn to respond to the debate, said, May I remind you, sir, of Revelation 1.18. And then he quoted that very verse I just quoted to you. And I said, debate over. Debate over. Jesus Christ died, but he's now saying about himself, I am alive. Behold, I am alive evermore. Acts 2.24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It's not possible for Jesus Christ to be held by the pangs of death. Satan has no power over him. This resurrection of Jesus Christ is significant, my friends, because it shows Jesus' power over Satan and death. And and even, I think for us, most significantly, even significant because Jesus' triumph over hell. I think those people who say, I'm subject to fear if they'd be honest... I'm subject to this fear, this fear of death. It's even more than that. It's what John says in 1 John. It's that fear of the punishment after death because it could mean hell. Uh, Those Christians, they, they often talk about hell. They often talk about the fires of hell and the judgment of hell. What if it's true? What if it's true? Eric Sauer The great German theologian wrote, Without the bodily resurrection, no thinking man would ever have believed upon the crucified one, for his end would have contradicted his own prior announcements of his resurrection and triumph. Yes, that's right. But because He was raised from the dead and because there was a triumph, it's so significant, this resurrection of Jesus, because it shows Jesus' triumph over hell itself. Revelation 20, verse 14. The devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan, the devil himself, and the beast and the false prophet, this unholy trinity, will be incarcerated forever in the lake of fire, because Jesus has triumphed over them. They'll be in hell. And it is because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. That's our hope. That's our hope. God raised Him from the dead. You want to ask me what the significance is of the resurrection? I tell you, the first and most glorious reason for the significance of seeing this resurrection of Jesus Christ is because His triumph holds our hope over Satan, death, and even hell itself. That's significant, my friends. That is so significant. Here's the second significance. Here's the second one. Not only Jesus triumph over Satan, death, and hell, but His resurrection is significant because it provides for us the climax, the very culmination of the account of our own salvation. That's significant. The significance of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead is... Be because it provides for us our own climax, the, the very culmination of our own salvation. We, through Jesus' resurrection, have been delivered from where Jesus said, go those goats, Matthew 25, unbelievers, prepared for the devil and his angels, the place of eternal fire. It was prepared originally for them. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 25. And when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, Satan and death and hell were triumphed over. And if that weren't significant enough, even the significance of our own salvation is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10. Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You you can't get more to the point of what it means to be a Christian than saying, I confess that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's a confession. This This is the great article of our faith, right? We believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And Paul says in Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be delivered. Can't get any more significant than that. This is the the very significance of our faith that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen, the great resurrection chapter, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And I know the naysayers, I hear them. You hear them too. In fact, leading up to Easter time, it's always amazing. And now that you have a smartphone, I just get these uh, random news alerts. And I'm sitting there studying my Bible, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And my phone goes, bing! And I look down and it says, CNN News Report. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Bing! Another CNN News Report. And it's not because I submit to CNN News. I want you to know that. And the next one. Will Christianity survive? It's grandiose, all of these articles that come, especially around, Christmas, or the, around Easter time and Christmas time, because they're, they're questioning the faith, they're, they're questioning the resurrection, they're questioning the birth of Christ, they're questioning the very tenets of our faith. And First Corinthians fifteen fourteen, Paul says, yeah, and in the first century they were doing the same thing. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, then why preach? Why do you have your whole career, your whole livelihood, your whole life in this land? Why? Because my preaching isn't in vain. Because the resurrection happened. And it's the great article of our faith. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. But Romans 4.25 says, Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was raised so that you and I could be declared not guilty by God. You say, I think that's pretty significant. And you'd be right. You'd be right. This is the significance of our faith. You say, well, how does the Apostle John say it? Look back at John 20. Here's that second phrase I want you to see. John chapter 20, verses 8 and 9. This is the way it says in my Bible. This is what it says in yours. The other disciple, John 20, verse 8, that's John, John the Apostle, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. He saw it. He saw the empty tomb. He knew the implications of it, and he believed. But you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says right after that, verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead and then what appears to be a very pitiable verse, verse 10, then the disciples went back to their houses. You say, that does not sound like a robust faith to me. I mean, he, he, he saw that Jesus wasn't in the tomb and he saw and believed, but what kind of believing? I mean, he, he went back to his house? He he as yet did not understand the Scripture, that He, Jesus, must rise from the dead? Doesn't sound like such a robust faith to me. Leon Morris, the great New Testament commentator, said this, The first Christians, and this is a wise word, listen to it, the first Christians were men who had passed through, through the shattering experience of that first Good Friday when Jesus died. Shattering experience. They had their hopes on Him. And His death came as a hammer blow. But then there came the totally unexpected resurrection. They took a little time to readjust themselves to this new fact. At first they found difficulty in believing it. But once, but once they became sure of it, their whole outlook was transformed The message of the resurrection runs through the whole of the early preaching. It clearly gripped the imagination of the preachers, and they proclaimed it with power and conviction. You see that all through the book of Acts, don't you? You see Peter now preaching with the Holy Spirit's power and with full conviction, the Bible says. Full conviction. Oh yeah, it's going to take some time. It would have been the same for you and me. You're walking with Jesus. You're hearing Him teach. You're drawn to His person. And then He starts saying, I'm going to come to die. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 10. You read it and He says, I'm going to come to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to watch me hang on a tree. I'm going to go into a tomb and then I'm going to be raised from the dead. And they're saying to themselves, Huh? What is, what is this? And the Bible says repeatedly, they, they, kept, they kept saying in their hearts, what is this Jesus dying and dying on a cross and, and then rising from the dead? What does that mean? According to Luke 24, Jesus opened their minds to understand that this was the very fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and when John was running faster than Peter and he saw that tomb and he realized that Jesus had been raised from the dead even there even then it's like the man in the gospels lord i believe but help my unbelief and when the power of the holy spirit arrived at pentecost then Peter and the other disciples they began preaching And one of the great motifs of the book of Acts is that they culminated with every sermon that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And we are witnesses. We're witnesses. Acts 1.8 And you, you disciples, you will be my witnesses. And you're going to go out from Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth, and you're going to proclaim the very apostolic doctrine of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You say, well, let's, let's look at it from the other angle. Yeah, well, it was easy for them to believe. It was easy for them to believe because they saw the risen Christ. Christ. And some people might even be tempted in our own day, maybe even Christians, to say something like this, look, I, I, I take it by faith, uh, I, I take it on the, the, the Word of, of God, uh, but uh, boy, what would I have done? Would my faith have been strengthened? Would I have been more energized in my relationship with Jesus if I'd actually saw Him raised from the dead? Actually, No. Because 1 Peter 1 says this, Though you have not seen Him, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the very salvation of your souls. No, it's not true to say, well, if I had just seen the risen Christ myself, if I'd just been like maybe doubting Thomas, put my hands on his side, and instead of being a doubter, I can say, my Lord and my God, I I just want to see Jesus. Peter says in 1 Peter, no. No, even though you don't see Him, even though you don't see Him right now, you love Him, and you have your faith expressed in Him, and as the outcome of that faith, even though you don't see You have this joy inexpressible. You have this full, glorious reality, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because it's going to provide you your own salvation. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the very salvation of your souls. If you think clearly about all of this, you can affirm the reality of the significance of the resurrection. It's like the British Lloyd, Lord Justice Darling, who was at a dinner party, and the subject turned to the very subject of Christianity, especially the resurrection. This is what he said, we as Christians are asked to take a very great deal on trust. The teachings, for example, of Jesus and his miracles. If we had to take all on trust, I, for one, should be skeptical The crux of the problem, whether Jesus was or was not what he proclaimed himself to be, must surely depend upon the truth, or otherwise, of the last, final, and greatest miracle, the resurrection. He paused for a moment and then went on. On that greatest point, we are merely asked to have faith. In its favor, as a living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world examining the evidence could fail to pronounce a verdict that the resurrection story is absolutely true. Now How can we say such a thing? We weren't there. We weren't there. There were eyewitnesses who were there, but we weren't. How can we be so sure? We are sure because God has granted us the faith to believe. It is true. And I will go to my grave believing that it is true. Put a gun to my head. Go ahead and pull the trigger. Because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How can I be so sure? Because God has granted me the faith to affirm what I'm not presently seeing. Do you have that kind of faith? Some say, oh, that's a blind faith. That's a, that's a wishful thought. Ah, but if you had the evidence, if you could just see the resurrected Christ. No, friends, you and I love Him, and we follow Him, and we will go to our graves following Him, and we will push through the grave on the great day of our own resurrection because by faith, the faith that God has granted to us, It is the faith that obtains for us the very salvation of our souls. I'm delivered from my sins. I have the hope of the resurrection on the last day. And it's not because I was an eyewitness, but through the eyes of faith I believe every word of the testimony of this book. It is the very word of the living God. God and then there's a third significance as we close this morning a third significance and it's not just the idea that his resurrection culminates in my salvation it also culminates this significance of Jesus' resurrection to my resurrection from the dead that's why that's why the cross and the resurrection are so significant to Christians because it will mean for us that it guarantees one day that you and I also will be raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15:20 Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. He's the pioneer That's why I love Matthew's account when it said that somehow in this resurrection and uh, post-resurrection appearances of Christ... And even on the very day of his crucifixion, it says there was this great earthquake, and then there was this other phenomenon, and that is some people in the graves in and around Jerusalem were actually themselves raised, and it says, and they walked back into town. Wow! You want to talk about power? You want to talk about Holy Spirit engendered resurrection power, the power of Jesus Christ, the power of His own resurrection, even meant that it spilled over on some of the dead people. And they were raised and they walked back into town. I mean, that's, that's what was happening with Lazarus, right? Right? I mean, can you imagine that? No wonder it says that the chief priests and the rulers were trying to knock off Lazarus for a second time if they thought they could because he was a problem for them. He was a real problem for them. Look, that's the guy that everybody was saying that Jesus raised from the dead. We can't have him around. We can't have him around. He's he's messing up our story. He's not helping us with our narrative. And those others who themselves were raised from the dead and these people came back into town only shows the very power, the very very initial showering of the very first fruits of Jesus Christ, the pioneer being Himself raised from the dead. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, chides a little bit his interlocutors his questioners when they're saying yeah but resurrection come on i mean can jesus really take all these little particles that used to be us that are now being eaten by worms in a grave in a tomb somewhere come on how can something like that happen and paul says in first corinthians 15 do you think that's a problem for the creator You think that's a problem for God to put particles back together? Since He created them in the first place, you think it's a problem for Him to recreate? To put it all back together? No, certainly not. Not for the Lord. Not for the Lord. See, say, well, how does that tie into John 20? Look at verse 17. John 20, 17. This is how it ties itself in. Notice what Jesus said. He said to Mary... I am ascending to my Father. Now, that's very significant. You say, what's significant about it? Here's the significance, among other things. I wish we could unpack this. Maybe we'll do this next Sunday. This is the idea. I'm ascending to my Father because the plan is not yet complete, right? The plan is not yet finished. Jesus, He's died he he was buried, and now he's raised from the dead, and now he is going to be ascended to the Father, he's going to be coronated as Lord, he's going to be coming back again. There's more to the plan, and this ascension of Christ means that the Holy Spirit will come, and the Holy Spirit will will endow these apostles to preach the message of truth, and this doctrine of the resurrection of Christ needs to be pervasive throughout the whole world, and it's continuing. Continuing to happen for another almost 2,000 years, And this ascension to the Father means that Jesus Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection, will come again, and when He comes again, it says, does the Bible, that there will be a grand resurrection, and all of those who are in Christ, first those who sleep, and then those who are not, will be raised, they will be immortalized, and that is the resurrection that you and I are hoping for. And it comes, not then, and it hasn't yet come for us, but it will because I'm ascending to my Father. Do you know that right now, people have asked me about this, when you do a funeral and you talk to the bereaving loved ones of the dead and you say something like this and it's not trite, And it's not trivial, and it's not meant in any way to depreciate their loved one. But when you say, there's that tomb, there's that grave, there's that coffin, and that's not the real person any longer. That's, that's the body, that's the tent that they had while they were here sojourning. But that's not them, it's not them anymore. Because if they're believers, their spirit, their soul has gone immediately into the presence of the Lord. But even that's not complete. Because there will one day be a resurrection from the dead. And that that body will be raised bodily just like Jesus bodily Was raised from the dead, and that body will be joined to that spirit, that soul, and that person will have then both soul and body the resurrection that will mean the perfection of their lives physically and spiritually forever and ever and ever. Boy, what a day that shall be! What a glorious reality! And it's all because, my friends, Jesus is the pioneer. The first fruits. Because of His resurrection from the dead, you and I shall be resurrected from the dead. Romans 8.11 If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Look, my... My body and your body, we're disintegrating even as we sit, right? We're disintegrating. And yes, that body goes into the grave. But God will one day raise that very body and reunite those bodies with their souls so that, like Paul says to the Thessalonians, we will be forever with the Lord. Forever with the Lord, body and soul. You don't understand that theology? When you die your spirit immediately goes into the presence of the Lord. Your body goes to that grave, that tomb. And one day, because of Jesus Christ's resurrection, the pioneer, the very first fruits of the resurrection, one day your body will be reunited with your soul and you will be, if you're a Christian, forever with the Lord. That's why when we are at those funerals, those memorial services, and we say, this is not just a grieving time, this is a celebration. This is a celebration. We grieve that they're gone, but we rejoice that they will be reunited body and soul to be forever with Jesus Christ. You see, God has a plan. He has a plan. The story is told as we close of a British soldier who was struck down in the Battle of Inkerman. As the account reads, he was just able to crawl to his tent where he later died. When found, he was lying on his face, his open Bible before him, his hand glued to the page by his own spilled blood. When they found him, they lifted his hand and looked into his palm. The letters of the printed page were clearly traced upon it with the verse he was reading on his hand, they buried him in a soldier's grave. And the Bible verse was this, John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We have that not only on the palm of our hands, we have it in our hearts. Let's pray together. That your hope, that your confidence, is that in the palm of your hand? Engraved there as it is with the very precious blood of Jesus Christ? Oh, I trust that it is. Here's a prayer put to verse. To Joseph's tomb, where none had lain, they carried him whom foes had slain. Men set a guard, men sealed the stone, men left him there to sleep alone. The Sabbath passed, the first day came, and Mary turned to hear her name. While Salem slept, the mighty dead had risen from his rocky bed. In him our hope, our longing are, who is our bright, our morning star. O Heavenly Father, may this benediction be ours, now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good deed to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.